Hello and welcome to episode two of the Gunners Town podcast. This is the first of the new breed of podcast that we're doing in which we actually have some football to talk about. Unfortunately, it was the absolute shower of the proverbial that we had to endure on last night as we are recording. So we're recording Thursday night. So yes, it was a Wednesday horror show, which has driven Paul, if you're watching us on uh, the video, it's driven Paul Hepker, who is Invincible Blog, to drink. So Paul, how are you doing? You all right? You surviving? <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fine, thank you. Yeah, um, I stocked up for lockdown and I thought I had enough booze to get me through until I'm allowed to leave my house. But um, Arsenal put a severe dent in my um, liquor cabinet, which is there on the right. So <laughs> I might need to go. More they're going to put more dents. We just yeah. know that. So, and particularly with the games that. all condensed as much as they are. But yeah. True. Yeah. We're going to hopefully get through some therapy tonight then, the three of us. And uh, to join us in this trio is, uh, is Mike McDonald. Mike, how are you doing? You all right? I'm all right. Look, I'm not quite where Paul is just yet. <laughs> well, it's early. Still, maybe next week after we lose to Brighton and whoever else, right? We'll see. Yeah, you're in on this therapy too. You're our resident um, tactics expert, aren't you, on Gunners Town? Allegedly. <laughs> so we're hoping that you're going to digest and uh, and break apart the uh, the selection decisions because let's start with that actually. So I wanted to get some general thoughts from you guys as to the team selection because obviously you know everyone knows by now you know it hasn't gone it didn't go right and Arteta chose to make quite a lot of decisions um, that surprised a few people and ultimately in the cold light of day maybe some could argue that they were wrong decisions but what's your general feeling on the team selection for yesterday then and we'll start with Mike then if you're uh, if you can kick us off well I mean I was okay with it I was a little surprised that Saka was on the right I thought that um, the idea when I saw their lineup was Abamyang on the right to try and keep Mendy back because that's uh, your city's main uh, tactic uh, ordinarily is to try to go down the left and overload two, two against one on the left hand side and use Mendy so I thought that playing a Bamiang might keep him back, but he didn't do that. Uh, I then did a little bit of research and spoke to some City fans, and they said that um, it wasn't such a bad idea putting Saka out there because anyone who comes inside Mendy, he tackles with the wrong foot. So in theory, I can see possibly why that happened, that that particular selection. I understand Nicotia. Uh, he, he played before the lockdown and, and did did well. Um, of course, Abamyang, Leno, the two fullbacks. I understand the centre backs picked themselves. We found out afterwards, right? Um, and the midfield. Well, apart from Danny Savios um, and possibly Maitland Niles, I don't know that again that he had that many options with Torreira out injured. Um, so I was okay with it, and up until the forty was it forty fifth minute, it was a little edgy, but but it, it was it was going well. Yeah, Paul, gut feeling, team, sh- team um, sheet. Yeah, you know, looking, watching Twitter and, and seeing the normal meltdown and people. I mean, before the game, even you know, any ball had been kicked in anger. It was just kind of a very typical Arsenal thing to just to kind of leap to this immediate um, kind of fear. Um, and I'm kind of with Mike on this. When I, when I looked at it, it felt like you know, with Torreira, Shaka, I was I was c- concerned about. I thought you know, when he and and Gwenduzi have been teamed up, paired up together. It hasn't been that great. But um, so I probably, if Torreira was around, I would have put him in. But pretty much like what 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 Mike says, it's the you know the the, the centre backs pick themselves with injuries, Chambers holding. Um, you know, as far as the youngsters, the Özil thing was a big surprise. Um, Lacazette, 
Pepe, those, I mean, I'm sure we'll come, we'll talk more about those later, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in general, I just thought, well, Arteta knows City better than we do. Um, he's the coach. He knows how his players are performing. He knows probably how Pep will set up. Um, yeah. Pep's also got tricks up his sleeve, you know. Um, and so I figured, look, just let's just go with Arteta. I mean, he's, I think, before the lockdown, before the pandemic kicked in, he was doing well. I, I thought, you know, there were a couple of draws and then he started winning and it's the team started looking like a team again. And, and I think we were really, really, um, uh, the, we lost our momentum. I think it affected us. Yeah. I think we were second in the form table before this all hit the fan. And, and, Unlucky for us, I think, you know, we're going to play catch up and other teams have used this opportunity to get, you know, players back from injury and stuff like that. So we've got to ease ourselves back into it. Everything's different. The whole world's changed. You know, I just feel like a little bit of calm would be good. Yeah. I mean, I looked at that team and at first I just my first thought was I think he's going with young players because obviously maybe there's a fitness side of it. But actually, also, when I started to see the first few minutes and, and like you said, Mike, with Saka on that right-hand side, I could see why he'd chosen Saka on the right-hand side, actually, because Bellerin was tucking in. Within the first few minutes, when when City had the ball, Bellerin was tucking in a little bit. And so Saka was when he was being dropped back. So he was almost operating at times, it felt like, a back five. Now, we're talking in the opening five, ten minutes, and, of course, the entire game plan got blown out of the water. And I think the injury to Granite Xhaka had a lot more impact i know that david louise is mental and he's had his mental he's, you know he's cost us obviously yesterday but i think the granite jacka injury uh, whether or not you like jacka i think he had a an impact on the way in which arteta wanted to approach the game because he's been a central point jacka since arteta took over he's the one that was one of the first names that arteta went to go and see so i just had the feeling that that injury probably had the the biggest impact, but ultimately, from a mistakes point of view, it fell to David Luiz. And let's let's get this uh, unfortunate conversation about David Luiz out of the way. Um, thoughts on? I'll start with you, Paul. Thoughts on his performance in general, what we're getting from him, and what we've got from him this season, and then also the bizarre post-match interview which he gave. So let's start with the performance. Well, from a performance point of view, it's interesting because I watched the the, friend, the friendlies that we had, you know, against um, with Brentford and Charlton. Was it Charlton? Um, yeah. That we, we had. And in all the goals and the setups, you know, Louise was a consistent player in that. And he was he was pinging these amazing balls over the top. And I think, you know, set up like a couple of decent goals. You know, I think Maitland-Niles headed down one for Lacquer. Um, you know, he seemed to... You know, he seemed to be like a central part of those warm-up games. So I can understand, I mean, you know, he wasn't selected. Um, but when he came on, I thought that maybe Luis was a good player to have in that setup against City where it seemed like there were opportunities for somebody who could put a through ball, you know, for Nketiah or for Aubameyang because City were pressing high. You know, they, they had quite a high line. Walker started off having a fairly iffy game. He, he was quite loose. Um, I know that they had a man of the match, but I, I do feel like there was an opportunity for somebody with Louise's talents and his ability to put long balls through accurately. I thought that might actually pan out. Obviously, mm. you can't plan for these kind of, I don't know what he did in trying to, you know, unblock that ball. It was unfortunate and it had the worst possible outcome. It could have been a miss. It could have been a save. It could have, you know, the game could have turned out very differently. I think everything that happened from then onwards affected his game and it affected us as a team. So, um, with Luis, it's it's hard it's hard to tell. Um, 
what you're going to get basically it's the unpredictability i think that's that you know that makes it difficult um mm. I, if you, you want to take it from there mike and <laughs> post-match interviews yeah. <laughs> yeah well um i think arsenal's in a real predicament with david louise because i think it's a whole lot bigger than just I don't think he's very, very good and he shouldn't play. I think, you know, we get knee-jerk about the whole thing, but if you look at it from the club's perspective, he might still well be the best central defender that we have talent-wise. He's been world-class in his career, and some people would say that he's capable of still being world-class if he performs that way. Um, then you've got the leadership issue. There's three guys on our team that are real true leaders, and Xhaka is one, and I think Chris made a great point. You can't not play Granite Xhaka because you can't play Guendouzi and Willock and then not have any form of leadership at City away. Um, and then, you know, so David Luiz, um, that's a big decision to not play him. Uh, and I guess we, we know now why he didn't play. Um, but um, I, I, as I wrote this morning in the, in the blog, you know, he's very much a Jekyll and Hyde character, but I think it's different. There's a lot of players that can be that way. But the thing is with David Luiz, is that it's the point where he almost seems like he's vindictive. He gets seems to get so upset when somebody doesn't pick him. And it was the same at Chelsea, same at PSG, when they got rid of him. They don't pick him, and and he acts like he's 18 years of age. And, you know, from a guy who brings that level of leadership, he looks like the coach on the field when Aubameyang's supposed to be the captain. Aubameyang, we all know, probably shouldn't be the captain. That's fine. But he can, he can be such a clear influence, hence why Arteta probably wants to get that out of him you know, and, and wants to keep him because he sees there's such an upside. But you roll the dice, don't you, Chris? It's just every once in a while, and it seems to be more frequent as he's getting older, he decides to act like a, a child. And when he doesn't like a decision, I, I read, I don't know if you guys have also read those extended quotes on his interview yesterday saying he didn't like the setup. So I don't think it was, it may, maybe that was part of it too. I think he maybe was arguing with the fact that we sat back and uh, and, and, you know, and he wasn't picked that Paul made a great point about that long ball that we did twice in the preseason friendlies. He was the one playing it. But then all of a sudden he's not playing. Pablo Marie was trying to play that ball, but he was too deep. The whole group was too deep. So that wasn't working. And Nicotia was feeding off scraps and did the best he could. But David Louise, um, I tell you, if, if we were playing with fans, I mean, just forget it because the fans would just not forgive him. But he will probably get back in and he may well sign an extended contract to get away with it because there's no fans. And as long as he stays off social media, then he'll probably yeah. be OK. I think the challenge. So there's a few things that I've kind of been hearing. And I don't know if you guys have been hearing the same stuff. I mean, the post-match, the post-match interview, I thought was bizarre because it was almost like him saying, oh, you know, the club aren't offering me what I want. And then there's been some stuff that's come out today, which suggests that. Kia Drabchen and David Luiz are after two years as an extension instead of the one-year extension, which is on the cards. Now, if that's the case, then Arsenal will be mental to offer him the kind of money that he's on at the moment until he gets to 35 years old. And if he has peaked already and he peaked at Chelsea and he's on the decline now, why on earth would we want to just tie ourselves? You know, we've already got a hangover from the Meza Ozil situation. We'll come to that in a bit, I'm sure. But we're in a position now where we've got a player who's 33 years old who, if he really is hankering for a two-year deal, the club are probably in their right minds to move it on. My, just So I have no background knowledge on this, but his comments last night suggested to me, when he said, I should have made a decision earlier, I think Arsenal probably came to him and said, look, can we do the 30th of June or can we do the mini extension? 
so that you could just get through this season. And at the end of the season, we'll talk about that additional deal. And I just get a feeling that with someone like Kia Drabchen as his as his boss, as his agent, and again, I don't have any details on this. It wouldn't have surprised me if Drabchen had said, "No, no, no, get them to sell, get them to do the deal. Say to them, you're not going to sign that." mini extension you'll only sign a large-scale extension and if you're in arsenal's possession position you say well all right fine but until we know whether we are going to be in the champions league the europa league or neither we cannot do anything so we're just gonna have to let this drag out and now we're in this stupid position that next tuesday he's gonna affect it unless arsenal get a, a, the mini contract extension done by next tuesday then he's gonna walk the week a week later so Mikel Arteta is looking at this and saying, I can't, I've got to at least look elsewhere. He's got the same situation with Sabias. It's just, it's crazy. Um, you just can't, yeah. you can't have the situation where we've got players who don't know where they're going to be in two weeks. I think that's probably contributing towards it. I think the fitness has obviously had an impact because you've got Mari pulling up and then we have, we had Xhaka pulling up, although they were ankle injuries. So whether or not that's, I don't know if they, I don't think they were muscular. So I think that was just misfortune, you know, and then I think personally, when I reflect on that game, there's also a couple of bits of decisions like refereeing decisions. We thought, hmm. So the penalty is a penalty. No real arguments on that. Mares goes down quite easily, but somebody needs to explain to me why there was more contact in Ketier getting hauled down by that Garcia chap who was last man. So if you tell, if you if you ask me, if Nketiah gets the wrong goal and that guy has hauled him around, it's an awkward, clumsy challenge. That's a red card too, isn't it? I yeah, so I'll tell you. Yeah, uh, my thoughts, here, Chris. Uh, he's got Arsenal sort of where he where he wants them. He has the coach's trust. He's essentially the captain of the team, even though um, he doesn't wear the armband. He's the leader of the defence. So if he doesn't do it, who does it? That Mustafi is struggles to cope with his own game rather than organise. Pablo Mari's out for the season. I guess you guys probably heard of that, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, so he's the leader of the defence. He's essentially the leader of the team in a team that has very, very few leaders. The other one, Xhaka, he's out. He's not out necessarily for the whole season, but essentially he's going to be out for a bunch of weeks. So you're down to Hector Bellerin. And then you've got the, as Paul was saying, with the passing ability and the fact that he was clearly being used as a pivotal uh, point in a new tactic to that long ball knockdown finish. So he's got Arsenal in a situation, especially with Pablo Mari going down and done now, where uh, I, I don't see Arsenal are going to have to... I, I, if I was in charge, I would, I would give him... Um, I think I would have to give him a year if that's the best that we can do because I don't think Arsenal can get through this period of time with the lack of leadership and the uh, and the lack of defenders. I mean, it's going to be Zach Medley or Daniel Ballard on Saturday. Yeah, well, Rob Holding apparently is coming back into the fray. Although, I mean, it's quarter past eight at the time of us recording, uh, listener, viewer, um, and I think Arteta's had a press conference or he's going through his press conference at the moment. So we won't know the exact team details, but I've heard that Rob Holding is at least back, but he's not going to be fully fit because otherwise he would have travelled, wouldn't he, last mm-hmm. night? But that didn't happen. But Paul, what's your kind of feeling on, let's talk about the game in itself and how it panned out. What were your expectations beforehand? And did they live, did we live up to those expectations? <laughs> well, I'm an Arsenal fan, um, right? So secretly in my heart of hearts, I was hoping that, you know, Arteta would go there and, and manage to 
at least get a draw, maybe even squeak a victory, like, you know, and, and it would be like all rosy in Arsenal land, you know, and, and the master will have been schooled by the people and all of those great stories that could have come out. And, um, you know, I think the minute, the minute that first injury happened, it was inside five minutes that Shaka yeah. injury was, yeah, it was so quick. And and it was such a, it was such a, um, it was it was the one injury that really had huge ripple effects, you know, like in how it, because Shaka, like Mike said earlier, is, you know, Arteta was basically the first name on the team sheet, you know, and he was so important in, in how Arteta was setting up the team where Shaka would drop back into the left back, you know, position when we were attacking up the right. There was so much that he was responsible for in, in making us kind of a little bit more fluid and a little bit more flexible. So, and it improved his game because, you know, it was like he was given a specific role and he did it well and he stuck to it. I think his performance improved towards just before the pandemic. So when he got injured, I thought, oh, that's un that's really sad because we didn't really get to see what Arteta had in mind, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And then when Marie got injured a few minutes later, I was like, okay, no, <laughs> now no, this we're we're actually in just like you know, let's bail the water from the deck and let's hope the ship doesn't sink too quickly. And then Louise, who could have had one of his great games, you know, which we've had, he's had a couple. He didn't. He had, you know, he had a a brain fart that turned and, you know, had the worst possible outcome. Goal just before halftime. And then that affected him and he came out and that petulant side of him that Mike talked about came out. Mm. And I think it's, you know, just it crossed us. And he recognized that. Um, mm. So, yeah, I feel like that. I felt like those injuries and everything really make it hard to talk about tactically what happened. We were just basically trying to stop City from trouncing us. Leno made nine saves. You know, yeah. it could have been ten. It could have been ten more. I think yeah. we were lucky there were three. You know, yeah. So, Mike, yeah. do you um, do you think that we need to just basically Arteta talked about just almost boxing off this this game? I, in my mind, had already done that before we started. I don't think we'd win. <laughs> you know, we had that game in hand, as people were saying, but I didn't think we'd get anywhere near City. Um, and the game almost was rendered irrelevant when you've got two players off injured and then, you know, within a minute or two of the half restarting, you're down to 10 men. How easy do you think it's going to be for us to just box that off? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I think Arsenal, uh, like Paul said earlier, have got some trouble back behind the scenes. So I think it depends uh, on whether he can motivate the players who have got one foot out the door or two. I mean, you've got situations with not just David Louise, you've got situations with Danny Ceballos. Um, you know, that Granite Xhaka is allegedly Lucas Torreira too, up for sale. Uh, you've got a Bamiang situation, you Lacazette probably in the same boat. What are they going to do? Um, so throughout the team, and I'm probably missing a bunch of them there, you've got situations where are the players fully motivated to change this around? And, and for as much as we see the need for us to get Europa or Champions League for the sake of money, for the sake of buying players, because we're not going to win the Champions League, um, I don't know if the players really are motivated to do that. And, mm. you know, they're different to us. Um, I, I would say just on the back of the tactics, there was one other thing that I noticed that I, um, I felt sorry for Joe Willock. Uh, he did a fabulous job at pressing and trying to block passing lanes, but because he's playing Manchester City, he was looked like a headless chicken running around. I think he did a fine job there. However, I don't know if anyone noticed, but we played a 4-2-3-1, and he was the attacking midfielder. But when we defended, we didn't play in that system. We played a 4-3-3, and he tucked back on the right side of 
uh, Guendouzi, I suppose, as a central right, right midfielder. So he was doing two jobs. And so people criticizing him for not finding uh, his position so we could find him. I think that was a little bit harsh, even though that's something he needs to work <coughs> on anyways, his positioning as an attacking midfielder. But he was the link and he wasn't there because he was doing two jobs. Um, mm. That's a lot of thoughts, Chris. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. No, just, no, it's good. Just, Let's talk about Guendouzi. Can we have a conversation about Guendouzi? Because yeah. I'm starting to wonder why, if I'm honest. I'm just going to leave it there. Why? For me, um, I mean, Guendouzi, I think he has the, the simplest problem is he needs to cut his hair. And I'm just saying that in the sense that he doesn't have a, a situational awareness. You know, he, there's so many good things about Guendouzi, but he gets himself into trouble all the time because of a lack of awareness. You know, he, he has a tendency to try and get the ball, turn it, you know, and, and body check, come between him and the person who's trying to get it off of him and then fall over it and you get the foul, you know, play that. And if he gets away with that without the foul, you know, but it always takes this kind of 90, 180 degree turn and he always turns into trouble, you know, and he doesn't pick the, the quick and easy pass. He like, it's that, it's, Ramsey did it for a while. You remember like before in that season where Ramsey was really shit where he just kind of did like at a turning circle of like a truck. You know what I mean? He used to get the ball and, and it used to be like a five part turn before anything happened, you know? So um, it was the opposite of what like a Fabregas would do before the ball even gets to his feet. He knows yeah. who's around him and where uh-huh. his guys are. And it's, it's one touch or one, you know, little open his body or close his body down and the pass happened. With all of our midfielders in this last game, that didn't happen. And so those transitions that where you've only got a, like a, a half a second of opportunity where you can get City off guard. I felt like our midfielders, out of in, inexperience, out of bad habits, um, you know, and perhaps, uh, I don't know what, what else, but they just didn't use that little tiny window that they had to see that Aubameyang is free. Mm-hmm. Hit, you know, do a bisecting long pass and he's in on goal on Ketir. Or, you know, pass it out wide and then and run. They just missed those little windows so often. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's that uh, it's a game of margins. It's really yeah. small margins, you know. Yeah, go on, Mike. Yeah, um, I just wanted to to add to that. Um, Paul's dead on. You know, uh, tying his hair back. We've been talking about that at Gunnerstown for over a year now. Just simply get, having the coach tell him to tie his hair back, and he would have better peripheral vision. But it goes beyond that. He, and Paul's right. The entire Arsenal midfield don't scan. And you know, I'm a coach, and I've been teaching this for years. And it's hard to teach an adult this. It's almost too late. You have to start when they're very young and you have to teach them to scan for color not players but you tend to check their shoulder and look for color and our midfielders don't do that on top of that if you watch city's midfielders and you watch our midfielders the other thing that doesn't happen at arsenal is they don't move as the ball is moving so when city uh, you know player a is passing to player b player c and d are moving into position so there's a one-touch option we don't have that at arsenal ordinarily it doesn't happen and especially yesterday gosh when you're playing Manchester City and you get pressed, you have to have a one-touch option. So then, Guendouzi is a classic example, and Danny Savias too. They just get caught. They hold on to it. They turn, they twist. But with Guendouzi, I almost think that he prefers playing that way. And I, I don't know him, so maybe this is a bit of a long shot, but I see, I see like the hero in that guy. I think he likes to be the hero. I, like, I think he likes to do things the hard way, hence why... I think that when the chips are down, people say get Guendouzi on the field because he seems to step up when the game's going hard. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. and so there's too many Arsenal players. If I had the chance to coach Arsenal, it would never happen. But if I had the chance, I would would 
try to make uh, the players individually more effective. Pepe is exactly the same way. Never runs behind the defence. Always wants it to feed, so he attracts a crowd. Everything's too difficult. And these are talented players. So maybe in time, individually, they'll get better. But we are a team full of players that make this too difficult. Yeah, I think for me, my challenge, my problem as well with Gunduzi is his positional sort of discipline at times drives me nuts. And that's cost us um, certainly towards, it's cost at times last season. He lost his place last season, but actually also at times this season. So it's certainly something that we need to look at. But interesting that you say, um, sees himself as the hero. One person who is not the hero at the moment is Meza Ozil. So let's have a conversation about him for a few minutes um, before we uh, talk about the Brighton game, before we wrap up today. Um, What's your gut feel on what is going on there? Paul, start with you, mate. Uh, you know, <clears throat> for me, the Mesut Ozil situation, <laughs> where do you start? The, Mes- the Mesut Ozil situation for me started when Wenger turned down Fabregas because Mesut Ozil was available, you know, and I think that there was a lot of hype around Ozil and, and where he'd, what he'd been doing at Real Madrid and and I think it was it was part of that pumping up Arsenal and that point when the club was falling apart. Remember the stripy socks and the the stadium, you know, photo ops and you know skydivers and all that kind of stuff. They were really trying to, you know, puff up a club that was was falling apart over Wenger for reasons good or bad. And I think Mesut Özil from the beginning was used as something, and it and that, and that's turned to bite him. It wasn't his fault. We made him that way. It's like Thomas Dolby says, you know, she's an airhead, but it was us made him, made them her. <laughs> anyway, so what I'm saying is that Ozil inherited a kind of a god position in this club that, that made the expectations, I think, too high. Um, I personally don't feel like he's ever really earned the kind of legendary status that he arrived with. You know, I've never felt that he's really lived up to his, you know, his potential. And with us, um, mm. and that's just being harsh. I mean, he's a fantastic player. He's got great vision, all of those great qualities. But the criticisms that came, you know, of, of him and his commitment to drifting in and out of games, or you know, taking the easy option, all those things are valid. And I think that it's just been a long saga. And I think that this yeah. last contract has just piled a whole, you know, heap of of dirt on top of what was already a shitty situation with all the money and the fact that we need money to know that like half of what we earn is is going to one guy who doesn't even make the team sheet it's just it's It's baffling it's baffling baffling. i don't know what to say does he have a future do you think he'll ever play for arsenal again um well if history tells us anything then yes absolutely he will but (laughs) If he was, if it was up to me, he'd have been gone a long, long time ago. Because, you know, I think that position he plays, Chris, uh, not at very few positions you can look at statistics and and just statistics. But with that position, it's really about chances created, assists, and goals. That's about it. I know everybody, British people in particular, and I'm one of them, talk about putting in a shift. Well, if you're people have been getting too upset about that for over five years with Meza Ozil. If you bought Meza Ozil, if you bought Meza Ozil to put in a shift, you bought the wrong player. Yeah. Um, we we bought him to create chances, have assists, and score goals. And in the last two plus years, he's created a few chances, had a, almost no assists, almost no assists. And as we all know, he hardly ever shoots, let alone scores a goal. So forget about putting in a shift. Uh, that argument 
should never have even been started. Um, Meza Ozil needs to have been gone years ago because he doesn't do what you bought him to do, which is create chances, assist and score. He doesn't do it and he hasn't done it for so many years. And, and last thing, Chris, is that I think, and I can be this way, you get romantic about a player like him. You think when you think about who should I put in the team, uh, you think about what they're capable of doing. Well, he is such an aesthetically pleasing player to watch, isn't he? And every once in a while, he makes somebody look silly. And he will make a great pass. But, you know, it's just not enough. It just mm. isn't enough. His statistics are not even close. No yeah. wonder Joe Willett gets the nod, Chris, you know? Yeah, I think I can understand that. And I think when you can start to count the number of influential moments that he's having, not just on a game, but actually in a series of games, then you've got a bit of a problem there. Uh, you really or do. And James, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a real worry. Personally, I think the club and Urzo are going to have to find some sort of solution because I don't think anybody's picking him up. But this is where the Arteta situation is going to be interesting because if Arteta he's if Arteta has got some bad attitude from Urzo, then and he's just said that's it, you're done, mate. Then Arteta feels like the sort of player that he will say that's it. He's not playing. I don't care that he's on 350 grand a week. He can sit at home playing Fortnite if he wants to. I don't care. That's it. I'm not having people in this squad. And that's why I think Ozil, I think for the Emery situation, it felt like he could almost ride it out because things weren't good. They, they were tanking under Emery. So Ozil probably felt he could ride it out. I'm, I don't think he can ride it out with Arteta because everybody's impressed with him. The fans are impressed with him. The people at the club are impressed with him. The players are impressed with him. And if Ozil is the man on the outside of that fence looking in, then Arteta's going to have no problem saying well, you're not going to be coming in until you can you can dance to my tune. OK, um, so let's wrap up then just quickly talking. Looking I don't at think right. Ozil cares, by the way. I think he's no. got he's got, you know, he's got a future. He's 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 marketed himself. He's positioned himself for a post football future. He's ridden far bigger storms than what's going on at Arsenal. I mean, when you're national team rejects you, you're, you know, all these ties with Erdogan being, you know, having people coming to stab you in your car. I think that, you know, like um, this, what it, what's going on for Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, quite rightly, is very little. He was offered yeah. a contract, he took it, and he's getting a lot of money. He doesn't yeah, give it exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's look ahead at Brighton then, just as we're wrapping up things. We're just coming towards the end of our 30-minute podcast. And yes, listener, we are keeping to time as every week. This is us. This is our brand. This is who we are. The thirty-minute podcast. <laughs> do that. So, talk to me. Talk to me, gents, about what's going to happen at the weekend. What's your gut feel, uh, Mike? We'll kick off with you. What do you reckon? Well, uh, first of all, they've got to solve the centre-back problem, right? Um, so, uh, if Holding can do it, then that's fine. If he can't, then one of Zach Medley or Daniel Ballard will play. Probably Zach Medley. The other option is you play Mustafi in the middle, and you play Tierney and Bellerin as a back three. And then maybe you have Saka on the left and Reese Nelson on the right and play a back five. I know that sounds odd, but uh, might be one of the smallest back threes we've ever seen. But Brighton are not a very big team up front. On set plays, we'd have a problem. Um, in, the, in the midfield, again, this thing may well pick itself with Torreira not ready and Xhaka not available. Uh, again, is Ceballos got the head, his head right to, to start? Um, and up front, that's where we have almost too many options. And I get confused, quite honestly, Chris, when I think about all the different things, because there's so many things you could do. I will tell you this. I think Bakio Saka is probably going to settle after playing left back, left wing, right wing, 
wherever else he's played, I think he's going to be an attacking midfielder. And that's something I found out today um, that he's actually been practicing he's, as an attacking midfielder. So maybe we see that against Brighton and, and Aubameyang has to play because we lack goals. So then uh, everyone would like to see Martinelli, Nicotier needs a rest and Lacazette, Nelson. There's all kinds of options. I'll, I'll hand it over to Paul. Is Pepe injured? Is, is... No, Pepe too. he's available. Yeah, so, so um, in, like, like, like Mike team said, well, and result. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Brighton, they're, they're kind of a possession-based team, right? They're, they're happy with the ball. Um, so that's going to be interesting for us. You know, I, I think our tactics are sitting kind of deep, you know, against City didn't really work. And with the defence that we've got as shaky as it is, maybe our best form of defence is attack. And to, you know, to go for an attacking lineup, and um, that might be playing into their hands, but... But I think it's probably our, our best chance. You know, they're not great on set pieces. Um, we need to we need to exploit that. I mean, we once again, I think we had a, a few corners um, against City that just. I mean, they didn't get past the first man. It's, it's, it's kind of stuff when you go like, you know, it's a pre- professional footballers earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. Like you've got to surely there's certain basic things that you've got to be able to do. I mean, I watched the game before. Sorry, I'm going a bit off, off course here, but. In the game before, I was watching Grealish and whoever else was in Villa just knocking these corners. Like they found a man like every single time. You know, it was <laughs> how do we get that? How do you know? Because we we didn't have any shots in goal against yeah. City. You know, no shots on target. We got it. I mean, to score, you've got to get some shots on target. So we've we've got to get back into attacking football. I mean, fucking around at the back and in the midfield right now, nothing's reaching. Abami hanging thirteen touches in the first half against City. It's like you know, there's a war yeah. cotton office, you know. It's not yeah, good. I think so that's what we need think, to sort out. I think, I think what I would say is I think this has given him this game again, if he can just box it and almost start from afresh. Um, this is a game where the opponents are not as you know, City are one of the best two teams and they're miles ahead of everyone else. So we know that. That's fine. Um, I think this gives an opportunity for rotation. I think he probably always intended to do a bit of rotation. I suspect that's why Pepe didn't play. And I think the reason why Pepe didn't get more time, like people have made a bit of a noise about this, I've seen on the socials uh, today. But uh, once we've got two injuries, you can only make all those three subs at once, can't you, for the for the, right. for the the four, five, and six. Sorry, yeah. three, four, and five. Well, you're allowed so, three back. So that's, so no, yeah, two, exactly. One, all five at once so if my, you want. So, so my gut feel is that he will rotate. I think people like Pepe might come in. I think um, Aubameyang Central has got to be a thing. Um, and I think we might even see Martinez. So I think there'll be a little bit of movement. You've got Nelson as well um, that could be an option. But just as we wrap up then, give me a prediction, lads. Let's get let's do a prediction before we, uh, we, we say adieu for another podcast. Paul. Okay. <laughs> okay. Paul. Well, I think I'm hoping for... A two-one, you know, reverse the damage that they inflicted on us at the Emirates in December. That'd but nice. I think, yeah, I think a, a draw might be on the cards, like one-all, maybe. Right. I think uh, we'll win three-two. Yeah, I've got a weird feeling. I'm normally Mr. Negative, but I've got a weird feeling. It's got a three-one. This has got a three-one on it, so I might even put a cheeky pound on it. Never know. But um, cheeky lads, cheeky pound, lads. It's been really, really good chatting to you as always. Thank you very much for coming on, um, and uh, we'll be back on the uh, Gunnerstown podcast next week uh, with a couple more additions. But uh, until then, thank you very much, gents, and uh, we will catch you soon.